Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jig Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of the Zone. Let's get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to uh, build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. Joining us now from The Athletic, he's Chris Camrani with us here on The Big Show. Hi, Chris. Hey, man. How's it going? Doing terrific. How about yourself? Things good? Uh, yeah, things aren't too bad. Unlike Gordon, I have to work today, so um, <laughs> maybe I'm preaching to the choir. But yeah, things are great. How about you? Doing terrific. Uh, you've known this for a long, long time, <laughs> even working uh, over at the trip with Gordon. It is good to be Gordon. It is. It is. It is good to be Gordon. A uh, lot to talk to you about today. Thanks for jumping on the show. Let's start with BYU. Enjoyed kind of your breakdown of what's going on down there, specifically with the roster, the type of team uh, that's coming back. Uh, talk to us kind of your you, – you talked to Kalani, you talked to uh, Coach Grimes, you talked to Coach Tuiaki. Give us kind of a feel about how they feel about their team. Yeah, I mean, the, the ironic part of this whole thing was I did all of this reporting – uh, about a month ago, and hopefully for the sake of BYU and everyone else in the state, these coaches get to see uh, a product on the field this year. I know that 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 is kind of up in the air at the moment, but uh, pertaining to what BYU has returning, uh, 15 returning starters, um, that's the most that they've had in quite a long time. Um, three capable starting quarterbacks in their mind, I think that's more than most uh, Division One programs can can comfortably say. And fascinatingly enough, uh, I think this is going to be, if they get to play, I think this will get to be the closest Kalani Sataki type defense that you'll see at BYU. And by that, I mean um, one of the hallmarks of what, you know, Utah's defense looked like under Kalani when he was up here at the U was just, you know, kind of rampant athleticism and versatility. And you look at what BYU has, especially in the linebacker core. I mean, they have six to eight guys, Jake, that they could trot out for three different positions. So, um, you know, they're going to have to figure out uh, maybe some position changes. Coach Tuiaki told me that, um, you know, guys like Chaz IU will probably see some time at safety. Um, same with um, Anderson, the, the former linebacker. They, they have a lot of talent returning, and, of course, they have the linchpin up front and, you know, Kairos Tonga. But, uh, you know, I, I hope for the sake of, of everybody that, you know, we will be talking something close to X's and O's regarding all of our in-state programs here in the next few months. But as you know, um, all of that is unfortunately very much up in the air at the moment. Kalani gave you a quote, and I've heard him say, you know, things similar to this, but uh, to get the best 11 on the field uh, then he added, "Now we have way more than eleven, and that's a good yeah. thing for us." Which kind of made me stick, uh, you know, laugh a little bit because, of course, it's a good thing. But uh, expand on that a little bit because you mentioned Chaz Ayu and moving him yep. around a little bit, but also having that depth. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no um, there's no bones about it. I mean, BYU has um, some restrictions when it comes to recruiting. They have to recruit um, to a school that has an honor code that has, uh, you know, 
fairly high academic standards. So this this rebuild, if you want to call it that, was always going to take some time for Kalani. Uh, there there were lots of spots that BYU needed to you know carve a foothold at, whether that's recruiting in state or in the various footprints across the country. And I think you know you look at year five, it's been an up and up and down you know first four years with with Kalani with the with the great success of year one, and then the back to back really disappointing years, and then last year you know, being in that contract year and everybody in, in the program wanting Kalani to, to get that extension, which he finally did. I think now you're finally seeing, like you mentioned, um, you know, you, you have to find a way to get your best 11 on the field. And they have that, especially on defense. Offensively is going to be fascinating, Jake, because, um, you know, they have three different quarterbacks who do uh, three very different things, uh, different skill sets. I think the the big issue again is is lack of depth at running back for this team, um, and that's been that way for a, for a while. Um, and they lost some some really talented guys out wide, but they do return Matt Bushman and and five starters on the offensive line. And a lot of the uh, college football nerds, the stat junkies, think that BYU has one of the best offensive lines in the country coming back in 2020, and that bodes well because as you know, BYU um, for decades. They they had great quarterbacks. They had great offenses, but you know you can't you can't have a great offense or a great quarterback without a great offensive line, and that's generally first and foremost what what is a priority for some head coaches. And you're seeing kind of that similar blueprint with with Kalani transforming that from you know being under Kyle Whittingham at Utah, where they always made made sure they were you know winning battles in the trenches and 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 being really stacked up front on each side of the ball. Kalani feels like they're finally there in year five in BYU. You had a, a very, I thought, uh, helpful table in your piece, Chris, uh, talking about the percentage uh, returning produ- of production yeah. returning, and um, you know the the lowest number on the whole table is receiving yards with fifty percent coming back. But then you, of course, you think, well, they've got Matt Bushman, who was uh, yeah. probably their best target last year. But then I, I read in your uh, I read in your article, Grimes is still talking about him becoming a better blocker, and yep. I just cringed at it a little bit because not that that. <laughs> You know, tight ends have to block. I got it, you know. But they've they, that's been an issue with Bushman the entire time he's been at BYU, and they've even kept him off the field. The dude is dynamic. Who cares yeah. if he can block anybody? Just throw him the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think, it, you know, Jeff told me that he's really happy with the depth that they have at tight end and that they have some guys that, frankly, are going to be, you know, block-only tight ends. So to your point, if you can roll out that 12 personnel that Jeff likes to do, obviously that should negate any sort of blocking um, circumstances that Matt would find himself in just because he's such a dynamic uh, playmaker down the field. And I think if you look at what this BYU offense could look like in 2020, it it has to kind of start and end with him because, you know, BYU lost a lot of wide receivers last year. They lost Shumway. They lost Tifo. They lost Simon. Um, some of the guys that they have coming back, you know, have made plays, but nobody um, to the likes of what Matt Bushman has been the last few years. So um, that that will be it will be harder for Matt, frankly, because I know teams will try to take him away. But to your point, I agree. I think you know when you have a dynamic tight end, especially in college, because I feel like the tight end position is so unique in the college game these days that if you have the advantage, you have to do your best to take advantage of it. 
Chris Camrani is with us uh, from The Athletic here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And Chris, I've heard a couple of pundits out there talking about BYU saying that this is going to be Kalani's best team. And with yeah. all this this production coming back, I can certainly see how you can make that argument. But you got to remember, Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams and uh, Fred Warner and some of these guys, they were really good too. Yeah, they were. I mean, that you, you look at that was the tail end of, of you know, the Bronco Mendenhall era obviously and it, it, it's fascinating to see just the dynamic change in terms of what type of players the program is is able to go and get now and I don't think that's specific to uh, you know what Bronco and his staff were able to do and what Kalani and his staff were able to do BYU football is just in such a unique place in the foothold of college football we all know that and um yeah, I mean, to, you, you just rattled off three guys who are either stars at their position, and I know Taysom Hill doesn't have a definable position, but Fred Warner is immediately one of the best linebackers in the NFL, and Jamal Williams is going to vie for a starting spot as a running back for the Green Bay Packers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a long-winded way of saying BYU has to figure out how to you know go out and get guys like that and, and make sure that they can keep that revolving door going in their program going forward. What do you think uh, Think about the rumors out there, Chris, about BYU picking up a game with Alabama if uh, the SEC decides to play non-conference games? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think if there was there's one conference in college football that I think is just going to do it damnedest to just play no matter what, it's going to be the SEC. Um, and and frankly, I you know selfishly, I would love to see BYU play Alabama. I think you know we we see the rumors of where it would be likely in Jerry World and. Um, it, it's it's a bummer for Tom Homo and the and the athletic department. I mean, you look at the first four games of that schedule. You had a pretty. I mean, I know it was only one home game against Michigan State, but that's a pretty sexy month of September. Utah, Arizona State, Michigan State, and Minnesota. And Minnesota is going to be really good again. So the fact that they lose all those, you know, September scheduled teams and then of course dropping Stanford I mean who doesn't want to go to Palo Alto in November which is like as close as you can get to heaven that time of year it 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 sucks and frankly being able to pick up Alabama as 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 the uh the nine plus one if the SEC goes that route that would be very very nice for for BYU and for everybody involved now um you know it's Alabama and I, I I we've seen a uh, resurgence of that meme from I don't know what season it was, but when the BYU, the ROC was holding up, we want Bama's sign. Uh, maybe they're going to get it, and it would be fascinating to watch. Chris Camrani of the Athletic with us here on the Big Show. Uh, switching gears to the Utes because, of course, you cover Utah, uh, Utah football as well. Uh, what do you think about how the Pac-12 is dealing with it? You just kind of talked about the SEC and their attitude. What about how Larry Scott and his conference has handled the COVID uh, situation thus far? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten responded so quickly by going to a conference-only schedule, I think they did that because they knew at the end of the day, if they're going to give fall a go, you're likely going to have to see some flexible dates. And um, if one program or a couple programs see a see a spike either in the program or in the you know surrounding areas that a, that a game might take place. Um, you have to be able to carve out some dates to be able to flex to. And that's uh, kind of we're, we're in uncharted territory for, for so many reasons. Um, I do think it was the wise move 
it is a bummer for us locally because you lose what I think is the most kind of enthralling sports moment of the year in losing BYU-Utah. But um, for the potential longevity of playing in 2020, the Pac-12 had to go this route. Um, But as you know, Jake, we are in this spot out west where we are seeing way too many cases on a daily basis. And I know um, we were supposed to get going. I mean, you know, Utah was supposed to have their mandatory meeting start this week, but that got pushed back by the Pac-12. And and now we're just going to be in a wait-and-see mode to see when you know, student athletes report, and then when, if, if and when a, a, a fall camp schedule can kick off, because until it's safe, until the data bears out that it's safe for student athletes to be able to put the pads on and go at each other for a month, um, it, it just seems kind of like we're in dire straits right now, to be honest with you. I know we all go down the doomsday scenario uh, <laughs> all the time, but what would happen if, say, Governor Newsom said, ain't happening in my state? What are, what happens then? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we can, go, <laughs> we, we can, we can all get weird in Reno. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know, man. Like, frankly, I mean, that's that's a really important question, and, and fair or not, I think California is the most important part of this whole equation, not only because it has the most amount of Pac-12 schools in the mix, but because it has a bunch of really important Pac-12 schools in the mix. And um, it's where the Pac-12 offices are located. It's uh, kind of just what the Pac-12 is when you think about the Pac-12. And if California is out of the mix, it will be tough to see this conference, you know, nine game, conference season or i guess in theoretical theoretical terms it could be a 10 game season but i just don't see it happening if, if, if governor newsom says no thank you you hear that austin that's the best idea i've heard yet let's get on down to the biggest little city in the world baby let's play some football let's all get weird i love that let's get weird let's <laughs> let's let's make it happen good old nevada uh chris camroni is with us from the athletic 97.5 and twelve eighty the zone and chris we haven't had you on since the uh Morgan Scally resolution came yeah. out, and and first I want to compliment you on the on the piece you did uh, after the allegations came out. I, I thought it was terrific. I thought it was thorough. I didn't read anything like it elsewhere. So so congratulations on that. But give me your thoughts on how that situation played out. Uh, as I know you were on those conference uh, those media yeah. availabilities asking questions. Give me your kind of thoughts on how it worked out. Yeah, it's. Uh... This is going to be something that hovers over the program for a while. And I've talked to a lot of former players who are supportive of Morgan but have made made it clear that he has a lot of work to do. And um, I think the average person would, would agree with them, and I think Morgan would too. Um, anytime you go from being the head coach and waiting to making over a million bucks to all of a sudden – um, I mean, Morgan, you heard him on the conference call. He seemed very humbled and, and thankful that he still had a job. I mean, I think there are a lot of places where um, if the scenarios were different, if so many former players, um, especially players of color, didn't go to bat for Morgan, I think he would have been out of a job. But um, he, it, it's, a really, it's a really fascinating situation, Jake, because as you know, like so many players who I spoke with, over the last month and a half, two months, told me that like they wanted Morgan to keep his job from the get-go. They just wanted people to know that you know Morgan has made some missteps in, in his coaching career and that he can address them and that he should address them. 
And um, I, I feel like more often than not, when it comes to cases like this, uh, I think, you know, people who are outspoken about how they, they felt wronged by somebody they want for, they want, like, for lack of a better term, their pound of flesh. Uh, but nobody wanted that with Morgan now. Uh, you know, as you know, former Utah cornerback Ryan Lacey has been pretty outspoken about how he feels like the uh, dismissal of his claim in the report was a slap in the face. And I've talked to Ryan, uh, you know, quite a bit these last few weeks. And that's why that's why I say, like, this thing is going to linger a little bit because not everybody is just is happy to move on. Um, but I think based on my conversations with other former players who are glad that Morgan is still in the fold, he just has to be out there and be outspoken and get out into the community and uh, repair his image and his coaching profile because he is one of the most, I, w- I mean, I would say he's the most important assistant coach on the staff. And the way he's been able to recruit the last few years, especially, has been uh, dynamite for Utah, and it's going to be interesting to see how that is affected going forward because um, I know it seems kind of shallow as a talking point, but um, how does how does Morgan Scally go into living rooms when, um, you know, the pandemic hopefully ends here in the near future and coaches are able to go recruiting on assignment and on location again? How does he walk into a uh, – living room and, and, and face the music. These are all things that, you know, we're all going to have to ask Morgan in the coming months, and it's going to be uh, necessary for him in order to turn the corner. You know, and I, I have a long, passionate opinion about this whole thing, but uh, I think what they, they have done with Ryan Lacey is is inadequate at best and and just terrible. I, I The way that they have not responded to him is – is there a reason for that, do you think? Is it, or is it just simply that if they respond to him, they give some credit to his allegation? I don't know. I don't think it's that necessarily. When I talked to Ryan, he did tell me that he was able to talk to um, some folks in the program. Granted, this was a couple of weeks ago. I, I haven't been able to talk to him since his most recent uh, tweet, you know, alleging that he talked to people in the in the department and that he's unhappy. So, but this was a couple of weeks ago, and he told me that he was able to to vent to some higher ups in the athletic department, and that they were really supportive of of his claims and and just hearing him out. Um, but again, this is such a difficult spot to be in. Um, obviously, first and foremost for Ryan because he's received the most you know, heinous, absurd sort of attacks that no person deserves. But unfortunately, in this era that we're living in, that seems, you know, far too commonplace. And secondly, regarding the, the athletic department, um, it, I think they deci- once they decided that there was an investigation and that they spoke to it, they're just going to try to move on. Now, I think if, if Ryan keeps, you know, wanting to be heard, maybe that changes going forward. And, and, to be frank, I mean, as much as we would like to know, it's not on them to necessarily come out and say, you know, we've talked to Ryan, so on and so forth. I think it would behoove them, but that's my personal opinion. That's not my professional opinion. And I, and I, I agree with you that um, just being able to say that there is some sort of dialogue between the, the two sides would, would be beneficial. But I think with so much going on right now, I think there's just – um, not making excuses here. I just think there's just so much on everybody's plate that uh, maybe they maybe they tackle that here in the near future. I don't know. 
Chris Camrani with us from The Athletic. And uh, before we let you go, Chris, uh, this is a, a personal uh, question that uh, that Ooh. I need some help with something. All right? Okay, I got, you. How, I got you. how is your Farsi? Because I need some <laughs> I need some words to impress my father-in-law. If I oh, came man. in, if I came in spitting some Farsi to my father-in-law, yeah. he'd be stoked. You know what? Um, the irony of this is I'm actually, uh, my wife and I are headed to the Bay Area tomorrow to go see my family for the first time. Nice. Um, yeah, I guess I was out there for the Pac-12 championship game, which was in December. But, you know, we were planning to go out there for Persian New Year in March. Uh, but that was kind of at the, the head of, of everything. Um, so we, we haven't been able to go see my family, her in-laws, for, for too long. And um, my under, my understanding of it is nearly flawless. But my it, it's weird. Like, growing up around it, like, you always understand it. Yep. But my, my, my muscle... My voice muscle, my brain muscle of having the Farsi flex isn't what it used to be. Now, next time we see each other, I will give you some some breakdowns of, of right. some things you can say, but I definitely will give you things not to say because unfortunately, there are too many there are too many no nos in the Farsi language. So maybe I won't even bring those up because I don't want you <laughs> I don't want you to get confused and get in trouble. I don't want you to get. Um, that would you know, be bad. Red, red, red carded yeah. by your father-in-law. That would be that would not be good. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you this: you 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 say that my wife is the same way. She can understand it all, uh, but sometimes she she really has to think about it when she when she speaks it. But my father-in-law is funny because he's been in this country a long time now, but still uh, speaks mostly in Farsi. And he'll uh, for for my benefit, he'll start out a story because he's a great storyteller. He'll start out a story in English, but then get comfortable, right, and fade right into Farsi. And, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, that's, <laughs> it happens yeah, all the time. Yeah, no, I, I've already, like, I tells me, like, when tomorrow when my dad picks us up from SFO, it's going to go just like that. Yep. It's going to go for the first 10 minutes all in English, and then he'll eventually just evolve into pure Farsi, and then she'll just ask me once we get back to his house, like, where did you guys go with the conversation? And I'll just like, all right, let's go sit down. I'll break it down for you. I've been there. I know exactly what she's going through. That's that's so funny. Well, hey, Chris, listen, thank you for jumping on with us. Enjoy that trip, man. That sounds great. Nothing better than family. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Jake. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Be well. There's our friend Chris Camerani uh, from The Athletic with us here on The Big Show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Some thoughts on, of course, BYU. Some thoughts on Utah as well. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.